This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Wharton Frank Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Our guest consists of experts like the world's leading authority on long-term economic growth, Bob Gordon. We will continue to see jobs created rather than destroyed. Former chair of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen. I mean, I don't think either of us ever expected that we would live through a financial crisis. Or even the head of the Digital Indian Foundation, Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome to Behind the Markets here on Business Radio, powered by the Warren School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, Global Head of Research at Wisdom Tree. My co-host is Warren Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, author of Stocks for Long Run and the Future for Investors. Please note, I'm registered representative for Foresight Fund Services, Professor Siegel of the Senior Advisor Wisdom Tree. Discussion is not tied to the offer or sale of investment products, and the views are guests of their own and not those of the Trips Affiliates. We're going to have a really interesting show today. We're talking with Mike Dixon of uh, Horizon Investments. We talk about goals-based planning, the challenges of the bond market. It's going to be a really interesting conversation. Uh, but before we get to Mike, Professor, I know you were focused on this employment report this morning. Um, how are you thinking of the, the numbers? Yeah, uh, well, I'm disappointed. Um, I mean, yeah, it wasn't as terrible a miss as last month, which was like an all-time record miss. Um, but we're we're not really bringing enough people back. I mean, uh, uh, it's more than a hundred thousand under expectations. And by the way, the whisper numbers were well over this, and many people thought we were going to get a revision upward of the previous way low level, which we did not. Um, uh, And, uh, you know, if we're not going to get these people back, that's going to put more pressure on on prices. Now, I have to tell you, I'm frankly surprised on uh, how well the bond market um, has reacted, where our yields are down on the 10-year around six basis points. And I guess that is uh, really what they're doing. Uh, the bondholders are focusing on the fact that, uh, you know, um, uh, this is not good enough for the Fed to start talking about tapering. <laughs> um, of course, which, in, in my opinion, uh, leads to more inflation going forward. But, uh, you know, you have these two tugs at the bond market. When is the Fed going to go up? And then what? how much inflation we're going to have? By the way, I also did not particularly uh, comforted by the hourly earnings, which were up uh, well more um, than expected uh, in in this report. Uh, month over month was up five tenths versus two tenths expected, um, and um, year over year was uh, up two percent um, versus one point six. So there's pressure on wages, and particularly what I thought was interesting is given that. We had a big increase in the in the type of uh, sectors that are generally lower wage. I thought this wage increase was rather impressive, which I think is going to put inflationary pressures on. The big date uh, is going to be um, next Thursday, uh, uh, June 10th, when we get the CPI, uh, and that's that's important. Um, uh, the, the early read is on the, uh, the Bloomberg consensus is four tenths of a percent on both the core and overall. Um, we'll see if that holds. My expectation is going to be higher than that. I don't know if we're going to blow out the numbers like we did last month, but um, I think that that's going to be a much more important number for the bond market and the Fed um, than um, this employment. But frankly, I would like to see more jobs back less pressure on the labor market. We actually, another piece of bad news from this uh, was the fact that the participation rate fell uh, from 61.7 to 61.6 when uh, when it was expected to go up, and that's one of the problems. The participation rate is way down from uh, pre-COVID, and... um, uh, you know, well, you know that's part of the the disincentive of going back. Plus, the number of people that have been permanently that are permanently retired from the labor force as a result of the shift of COVID. So, um, uh, I know you know that uh, people are taking a benign look. I mean, the stock market is up. 
Uh, and of course, the tech sector being yields are down significantly is up much more because the narrative is um, uh, the tech sector is is going to be influenced by those yields. So we have a, a, a very uh, you know a big jump in in those. But um, my feeling is is that you know the, I mean Thursday is key. Um, and even begin then, I, I think this bond rally will be erased uh, next week um, as uh, worries about what that Thursday number is going to be uh, filters into the market. Yeah, I had a feeling when you saw that participation rate go down, you're going to start being worried about those those supply constraints on on what that was going to factor in. And, and so you, do you think the, the, what's happening today, it's just – we're, how do you think the market is just reacting today based on on that news? That's well, the different. bond market, again, the people decided, you know, uh, oh, these numbers aren't robust enough for the Fed to really start tapering. So we, that's off the table. They're, yeah. and, and, and So they're focusing on that, not focusing on, well, these numbers aren't robust. This is going to be more inflation later on. Right. You know, it, uh, so, you know, the more immediate is, Oh, tapering is is further down the line. I don't have to worry about that as much because and 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 and, and you know there's there's a lot of shorts in that in the bond market there. And if it you know uh, if a certain narrative gets uh, you know started, uh, these people say all right, they cut their losses, and uh, you know the short sellers are cutting their losses in that market, and I think are driving those uh, those yields down. Uh, that's that's my feeling. Again, there's. You know, often two sides to the coin. Sometimes not. Sometimes it's unambiguous. But this time, there's the two sides. There's the the tapering talk. Well, uh, you know, participation rate down and all that means that that should be further into the future. There's the inflation implications, which are not positive. But the market today, at least in in bond world, is not choosing to look at that. As a result, stocks are taking their cue off of bonds. Bonds are down six basis points. So, hey, you know, um, less competition there, less worry there. Uh, you know, the, and, and the, you know, the basic uh, trend is is up with with the tech stocks and the the long duration stocks are leading uh, that. I mean, that's I think cued exactly off of the bond market reaction today. I wonder on, on some of the news, I mean, certainly there's a lot of the speculative frenzy in some of these quote unquote meme stocks. But I think one of the other big stories this week was, you know, the there was all this tension with China. And certainly there's these yeah. questions over the virus. But there's there's now, you know, people Trump had these executive orders prohibiting investment in certain China companies. Biden came out and people thought people might uh, go back on some of the Trump things, but actually added to the prohibited company list this week. Any anything on this sort of global dynamics that you're seeing here? Anything worth commenting on? Uh, I yes, I did find that interesting. Um, uh, listen, I I think uh, you know the the, uh, uh, the the release of emails of uh, Dr. Fauci. Uh, we're not very flattering to his, um, you know, staunch denials about Chinese involvement in in the virus, and um, um, they. Uh, uh, it's not. It's not what I would call a cover up, but it was like you know they w- didn't want to go there, and the evidence is stronger and stronger. So I mean, there's and and and. Uh, I think that the uh, you know the escape of the virus from the Wuhan lab is going to be an increasing story going forward. Now you know what what can be done on that, but I do want to also say that uh, I, I think we have to elevate um, hacking and um, cyber uh, uh, threats as uh, now a potentially major threat. Um, to um, Western economies. Um, uh, I mean, this is happening, um, and 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 this has implications for Bitcoin um, and clamping down on you know illegal ransomware. Uh, so I think uh, that that is another area that is going to be affected by that. Um, uh, is it all coming out of Russia? No, some will be coming out of China. Um, uh, but I do think that cybersecurity um, 
you know, people are surprised that stocks have really not done much, despite the fact that I think the risks in this area have gone up substantially, um, you know, in, in this year. So, I mean, this is another thing that I think, uh, that, you know, that uh, Congress has to, you know, it's not, it's not just a question of what country should I blame. We have to fortify ourselves and put resources into that area to make sure there's not a major, I mean, you can, you know, shutting down ferry, uh, ferries between, you know, Martha's Vineyard or the Cape is one thing. But having an attack on the banking system, on the mutual fund system, I mean, we could go on. Or the grid, um, uh, you know, I think, I, think we need, I, I think we need to think about this much more seriously. I've, I've, been, um, I've been ramping up my um, risk assessment in that area. For for listeners who want to turn back, we just did a great uh, cybersecurity show. Uh, you can find it on our Behind the Markets podcast with Bob Blakely of, of Team 8 and, uh, and, the, and the Clarity team who's close to the industrial systems and the Colonial Pipeline situation. So uh, just go back a few weeks ago to listen to that. Professor, thank you so much for some commentary to start us off on the show today. Thank you very much, Jeremy. We'll see you next week. Uh, we're going to be talking for the rest of the show with Mike Dixon, who's the head of portfolio management at Horizon Investments. Mike, welcome to Behind the Markets. Hey there, Jeremy. Nice to, nice to be here. Maybe you Absolutely. can tell us, our listeners, a little bit about Horizon, what it is your firm focuses on, and then what you do as the head of portfolio management. Yeah, sounds good. So, um, you know, Horizon Investments, uh, we're actually located in Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, we're, we're a goals-based asset manager. And so, you know, our, our, uh, our primary service model here is, is really empowering financial advisors to, to help their clients better achieve their financial goals. And, you know, we focus on um, asset allocation, you know, to do that. And, and really, I think that the main thing to focus on here about what, what we're uh, trying to do is taking investing from kind of a, a one-size-fits-all approach that you'll you know commonly find in kind of a traditional view, and taking it down a couple levels to be more specific to what clients are actually trying to achieve. And so you know with that with that goals based uh, you know framework, we're we're really just trying to put the client at the center and really just help financial advisors you know, you know service those clients and more efficiently um, you know through those solutions. So maybe talk through for goals-based planning. I mean, it, it, it sounds intuitive. I've got a goal. I'm going to try to pay for college. I'm going to try to pay for different long-term retirement objectives. But how, how deep are these goals? How variable are they across the different strategies that you guys create? Yeah. So, you know, again, I think what, what makes goals-based a little bit different from, from kind of a traditional framework is that, you know, we believe that, you know, investors, as their goals change over time, really so should their risk. And that measure of risk is, is what we really focus on to, to help, uh, you know, optimize our strategies. You know, with this goals-based framework, I, I think one way to think of it is kind of sitting in between, um, you know, just a, a traditional uh, risk tolerance questionnaire focused portfolio and direct indexing, right? It's, it's kind of somewhere in between. We, we see really three broad stages here at Horizon, uh, and really common objectives that uh, clients are focused on. Uh, we call those game, protect, and spend. Uh, and, you know, a, a game strategy is really focused on accumulation and accumulation of wealth. Um, and uh, a, a preservation or protect strategy is really focused on still accumulating assets, but also having uh, uh, more of a, a keen focus on uh, avoiding major losses. And uh, the, the spend stage is really focused on uh, meeting a distribution need. Uh, and so, you know, the objective there is, is uh, to minimize the chance of running out of, out of funds while, while, while being able to do that. And I mean, I, I tell you what, with, with where, where yields are today uh, and just in, in general what, what's going on in the bond market, um, that's certainly an area that we've seen a lot of interest in and, and I think is an area that, you know, we're going we're gonna to need to see a lot of innovation, you know, in, you know, over the coming years just to help solve this, you know, bond problem more broadly. When, when you think about how, and we're going to drill into this question in some great detail, when you think about your overall, those three main buckets, is there a shift in, in even how people have been allocated between the gain, the spend, protect? Like, is there, 
if you if you if you were to profile your typical person today, is it you know like the standard sixty forty eighty twenty kind of rule? Like what? How, where are people in that in allocated, and how is that shifting for your clients over time? Yeah, I think most most of our clients are kind of going to sit in the um, protection phase and transitioning more to the spend stage. So you know, just think about you know all the baby boomers retiring now. Um, and that just, you know, that broad transition, you know, we see a similar uh, profile, you know, amongst our client base. Uh, I think another reason we see uh, just, a, you know, a huge chunk of, um, you know, of, of advisors and, and clients in that space is because of the way that uh, goals-based planning really focuses on redefining risk. I think some of the biggest differences with, uh, you know, what the solutions might end up looking like in a goals-based plan, uh, that begins to, to show up there as compared to, you know, some of the allocations you referenced, like a traditional 60-40 or an 80-20 type portfolio. Uh, and so that's where we see, uh, that's where we see a, a bulk of, uh, you know, our advisors. And really the idea is, is to, this framework is to provide, though, a transition so you can have an advisor take a client all the way through, you know, this, this investing life cycle of accumulating assets to being more keenly focused on preserving those assets and finally, to being you know more uh, particularly focused on distributing those assets with, with a distribution goal. Yeah. So this idea of uh, more and more people going to the spend mode, and you know, before you could just get some income off the bond market, you didn't have to take so much risk to get that income. What, what do you see now for these people? What are what what are they? Are people do people just have to lower expectations of how much they can spend, or what are you doing to help maximize this this dynamic? Yeah, I, so I think uh, I think an example is probably most helpful. So, uh, if if you take like a traditional bond investment, for the a traditional bond is really low volatility, right? And so, uh, when you are filling out a risk tolerance questionnaire and you were to come up, let's say, as a conservative investor, you know, a, a typical uh, recommendation would be to have a heavy bond allocation, um, and so we'd, you'd consider that safe in a traditional sense. Um, however, you know, putting that into a goals-based framework, um, that might not be safe, depending on what your objective is. And so, what I mean by that is, let's say, uh, like you mentioned, that your, you know, your your objective is, is distributing your assets, and, and you're, you know, in the, in the spend stage, and so you're trying to live off of your savings. You know, let's say, for example, as well, that you needed to withdraw five percent of your portfolio a year, and you needed that to keep up with inflation over time. Uh, I can tell you, you know, from the from the data, uh, and you know, certainly many other, uh, you know, analysis and authors would would uh, agree that if you try to uh, meet that distribution target with a very heavy bond allocation, uh, you're you're really set up for failure. It's not very likely to succeed. So, you know, while something that might be traditionally safe um, with a bond that has low volatility suddenly becomes extremely risky if your your objective changes. Um, and so, you know, I think that uh, the way that we're managing that you know, distribution problem is really relying more on the equity markets and kind of a systematic distribution approach to meet, um, you know, particular distribution targets. And you end up with uh, some portfolios that look quite a bit different than if you were trying to solve this with, you know, just a yield only type solution. I mean, I think today, Jeremy, you've got maybe one and a half percent yield right now on the investment grade you know, bond index just the S&P 500 of the bond market, I mean, real, you take inflation uh, away from that and you've got a, a pretty uh, significant negative real real yield there. Um, and so you've you got to come up with another solution for that, right? And we've, you know, we've been managing a strategy, you know, with, you know, using these principles of, of tilting more to the equity market for, for well over 10 years. But then now we find ourselves here with yields on the floor and I think it looks, you know, much more attractive you know, from this point. We're talking with Mike Dixon, who is the head of portfolio management at Horizon Investments about the challenges of the bond market and going to equities. Um, if you were to try to generalize like the most common allocation, um, you know, I you know, we've worked with Professor Siegel for a long time. Here's of his come to start the show. He has been saying like the standard 60-40 should really be like a 75-25 today based on this dynamic of 
the, the negative expected returns on bonds, high inflation coming, stocks are better assets. Um, and you're, you're sort of having some overlap here in the story, but I, I guess I'm curious if you were to, how are you thinking about that that shifting allocation to equities? Is there a common allocation you would talk to how the the dynamic has changed with these goals? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a, a big overlap, I think, that we share. In fact, you know, we just wrote a paper on this topic. Um, you know, and the short of it is that, you know, passive bond exposure is, is extremely challenged. Um, but one of the main things, that, and referencing back to that allocation, one of our main conclusions uh, was that an 80-20 is the new 60-40. So, you know, quite similar, <laughs> at least, hey, it's in the same direction uh, as Professor Siegel for sure. Um, but, you know, that really is a byproduct of when we look at kind of our capital market assumptions for, for fixed income, uh, they're they're pretty poor, and you take passive bond exposure. Um, you can you can look at your know, current yield, uh, and that tends to be an excellent predictor for for future returns, especially over a period of time where the duration is pretty closely matched to the horizon that that you're forecasting. You know, and so just going back to what I said a minute ago, a percent and a half yield on investment grade bond index. Um, you know, you're you're being extremely generous if if you're going to get two percent out of that. Um, and, you know, most likely you're one and a half percent or even south of that. Um, you know, and this, this problem does it change, of course, if, if rates go up a little bit. We have seen a pretty r- big rise in, in the 10 year this year. Uh, but look, we also just had one of the, I think, the worst quarter in, uh, uh, since the early 80s, right, in, in a passive bond investment in the first quarter. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's our take, right? An 80 20 is, is the, the new 60 40. And so, if you're making, you know, no adjustments to the composition of your equity holdings, all you're doing is getting more traditional risk. And so, you know, the the uh, the most important thing from our perspective is to take, you know, a tactical asset allocation process, kind of apply it to that that 80 percent, give it a little more uh, defensive or efficient tilt, and suddenly you can, you know, you can transform the risk in a way that that's going to be, um, you, you know, going to get you in, into a better place, even though that bonds. Uh, and, and just broad bond exposure, uh, you know, more broadly is, is really under a, a lot of pressure. So, okay, that's interesting in terms of going a little bit more tactical within the equities when you go to 80%. So, like, what does that mean in practice, that this 80 can actually dial up and dial down, that there will be some tactical signals your firm is working on that might say, all right, so 80-20 is the new standard, but uh, there's sometimes when – certain triggers happen where we're, we're going to actually go back to 60 40 maybe is that is that what you're talking about yeah i'm really talking about taking this tactical approach on on the equity side to give it a little bit more of a defensive stance and as well as you know doing different things on the fixed income side than relying on just uh just a broad passive exposure to the bond market um you know i think one of the biggest issues you know uh, besides the details of how we're actually doing this is actually just around you know education on these kind of outcomes because if you think about someone who's retiring today, you know, uh, they started working, you know, in the early 80s. And so if you look back over that period of time, um, you, you've got broad, broad bonds doing about 7.5% a year on average. Um, and so, you know, that is, that's going to be the experience uh, of someone, you know, who's, who's retiring today. They're going to be used to, to bonds delivering that type of return, and it's just not possible going forward. Um, but, you know, certainly when we start thinking about, um, what these, what to do um, with this, you know, the 80% of this portfolio, um, uh, you know, I, I think the, the equity market, uh, you know, is, is definitely going to be that engine for growth, but it comes with, you know, greater risk of short-term loss. And so that's exactly why you need, you know, a tactical approach, um, you know, as well as, um, you know, other strategies potentially, um, potentially like options or, you know, factor investing, to, to do something to that composition of those equity holdings so that you can make it, um, you make it not only a little more palatable from a traditional standpoint, um, but also, uh, you know, more optimized to work with uh, this bond exposure that's extremely challenged on a go-forward basis. Yes, there's a lot of, I'm sure a lot we could drill into on, on the details there. In terms of the factors that you're thinking about, um, is, is it a, in a, lot, a lot of the investment factors people have talked about um, there's things like value and size and quality and low vol and momentum. 
is is it a dynamic factor allocation? Is it sort of strategically allocating to things like low vol, which might be the most natural if you're trying to lower volatility on a on a equity basket? Yeah, from a factor perspective, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, the, you know, all of those factors are certainly in play here. Um, you know, I guess drilling a little bit into you know kind of how we view the world um, uh, from from an equity allocation perspective. You know, we're, we're a global asset manager, so you know we are looking. Um, you know, not just here in the U.S., but also internationally for opportunities. Um, and, and really, our, our process balance, you know, balances a lot of, like, systematic factor investing, but uh, also, you know, overlaid, you know, with discretionary oversight and, and kind of qualitative research. But some of the biggest levers that we pull in the portfolios, you know, are uh, a lot of these traditional factors and, and traditional styles. Um, so um, you mentioned a few um, you know, momentum and you know, low volatility and higher quality assets, those allocations can tend to give you a, a certainly a defensive bias. And, you know, our process is going to uh, you know, pick up on that. And we're going to have some strategic tilts, um, depending on the particular portfolio to allocations like that. Um, you know, and, and additionally, um, you know, there's uh, our, our asset allocation process is, um, you know, can be can be tactical from, literally changing the overall um, equity bond exposure depending on, uh, you know, the risk in the market. Um, I, I think one of the uh, – one example of that is, is something we do in our protection suite um, where we're really using the, the concept of, of drawdown or, you know, losses in the portfolio to define risk as opposed to, to just volatility. Um, and when we, we look at what that looks like in practice, it, it really just – it allows us to – to have uh, more exposure to the underlying portfolio on average. And then, you know, once losses begin to accumulate in the portfolio, at some point we can be tactical and start to, to change those allocations. Um, but the, the benefit of that is um, that, you know, investors aren't really concerned about volatility when it's on the upside, right? It's just it's only when it's on the downside. And so that's something that we're trying to accomplish kind of in, in some of our core protection strategies is to, to change the dynamic of that profile a little bit uh, to kind of overlay on top of some of these factor allocations to to create a little bit more of a defensive bias uh, in in particular strategies. Now it's interesting. I mean, the, this conversation on on drawdown protection and the sort of dynamic nature of allocations. I mean, one of the core building blocks and principles of the last twenty thirty years has been bonds have been an effective hedge, even though now they have no return, you know, because of the neg- you know, negative after inflation yields. They've been a good diversifier for equities. Um, and they've been, you know, they've done well when, when stocks have sold off. There's a, a group 314 research I follow closely. They, they were out with a report this week talking about sort of rising correlations between stocks and bonds over recent periods. Um, that could be something going forward. Is, it, is this something you're focused on? Is our bond yields going up potentially going to be a risk to equities so that you have losses in both places of the portfolio? Is that at all something on your, your radar? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that when you look, um, you know, some some research that we did, uh, just looking at international markets, you, you can already see, uh, you can already see examples of this. Um, you know, specifically in the European or, or Japan regions. Um, you know, even looking back just here uh, in, in 2020, those are areas where yields are already extremely low and completely on the floor, and in, in fact, negative uh, in some cases, um, and their bonds. Uh, did not do nearly the job from a diversification perspective as areas, you know, like the U.S. Uh, with with higher yields, um, and so I, I think that I, I think that the there's uh, certainly um, certainly a lot to be concerned about as it relates to uh, with bond yields as low as they are that uh, bonds are not going to be able to act as much as that uh, uh, in that ballot type of framework that you've, uh, you know, come to, to trust on them, uh, you know, over the years. And, and then I think as well, uh, just as, as inflation begins to, has, has begun to pick up, um, inflationary environments, uh, you know, tend, tend to also be uh, pretty negative for that um, healthy stock bond correlation. And I think where we sit right now, you do have, uh, you do have, you know, correlations on a, a backward looking perspective, uh, you know, kind of their highest levels in, in, in many years. So that's, that's definitely something that, uh, that that needs to be accounted for in, in, in portfolio construction. 
Um, we're going to take a, a break here in just a second, but any, um, you mentioned Europe and Japan and yields there. Any, when you think about the equity opportunities around the world, is there anything beyond, you know, if you, as you think about the, where you position tactically today, do you like the U.S.? Do you like these foreign markets? What What's the dynamics of, of how you think about that equity allocation in these, in these uh, equity tilted models? Yeah, right now, uh, right now we're we're certainly more in favor uh, of the U.S. Uh, side of things. We uh, earlier in the year had carried a, a pretty uh, sizable allocation in, in the emerging market space, um, but uh, you know we've seen some seen uh, that that region certainly wane over the last uh, the last few months. Um, I, I think there's uh, you know when you look at when you look at Europe there's there's certainly some kind of cyclical value type opportunities there but Europe I think is kind of disappointed um, disappointed investors uh, quite a few times it's not really being able to sustain a rally um, and you know with the US we've, we've certainly uh, we've seen a lot of strength on the reopening trade um, you know both uh, supported by uh, not only stimulus but the earnings season we just had was absolutely fantastic um, and so you're seeing a you know really strong backbone of economic growth right now, and, and that's where we favored uh, more recently, Jeremy. Well, very good. We're talking with Mike Dixon, who is the head of portfolio management at Horizon Investments. We've got Mike with us for the full show. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. This is Behind the Markets. And one of the goals, uh, I presume, Mike, that a lot of your clients are focused on is how do they get to retirement and what do they do in retirement? And we were talking about all the challenges of the low income and fixed income being one of the key challenges. I'm sure that's that's being a, a real challenge to the retirees. Talk about how you think about the spending issue and, and building retirement income for, for clients. Yeah, Jeremy, I think you know, going back to kind of the, the real core premise of, uh, of goals-based investing is, is all about uh, trying to more clearly match, uh, you know, a, a client's desired outcome to a, to a portfolio. And so the way we think about that problem um, is designing strategies with the objective of, of being optimized to meet a particular distribution target. Um, and so that's, that's, uh, you know, we, we call those our, our spend strategies here at, at Horizon. Um, and, you know, what, if you look at like a traditional portfolio, it'll have something like aggressive allocation or moderate allocation tied to it. But instead, when you look kind of at our solutions, we'll have a particular distribution target associated with that. And so the idea for the conversation there is that, you know, if you have, um, you know, a million dollars saved for retirement, and let's say that you need, of income and you need that to keep up with inflation, that's a 5% distribution target. And we have a strategy uh, specifically, you know, match and optimize to to deliver that objective. Um, When when you look uh, at the allocation of of that underlying strategy, a lot of our research has shown, and I think that, um, Jeremy, you certainly, I know that uh, Professor Siegel would certainly agree with this, um, that more equities, uh, tends to be uh, we do a much more optimal solution as it relates to a, to uh, meeting a distribution target over a 20 year plus period, and so our, our allocations tend to be more heavily tilted to the equity market than what you may find, um, you know, in, in kind of a traditional like target date fund allocation. And and specifically, you know, as as uh, an investor needs to hit a higher distribution target, our strategies are going to recommend more equities, not less. Uh, in order to do that, um, but but look, there's uh, that comes with the risk of greater short-term loss, and so we certainly have other components of the process that would uh, that that would be you know designed to to help manage that and manage those other risks. It's really interesting. I mean, in a lot of Professor Siegel's presentations, uh, I don't know if you've seen him deliver this one, but he has a Monte Carlo s- simulation of this exact question. I mean, what's interesting is he, he uses the million dollar example and he does like a 4% and a 5% distribution example. And he you know has his expected, uses his 200 years of stock market data to go back and, and look at with you know various assumptions on forward looking stock and bond returns. He's actually being conservative, he thinks, in, in his modeling a zero real return for bonds. Um, but the, you know, the, the probabilities of running out of money are, are much less with more equities. I mean, at, at the 5% level, it like continually declines um, in, in, his, in his example. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. We, we've uh, done a lot of the uh, similar research to, to really help support the design of, of, of those strategies and why they, why they look the way that they do. 
but but you know certainly when you're when you're solving for uh, a retirement problem, I mean, the reality is you know today just looking at actuarial tables, I mean there's a 50 percent chance that most advisors with you know a 60 year old married married uh, you know couple is, is going to be planning for a 30 year retirement horizon. That's a long time, and when you take you know those types of um, those types of time horizons into account, um, and then you apply um, let's say a 5% distribution rate coming off of that portfolio and that distribution rate is going to keep up with inflation, uh, suddenly you're going to need uh, a pretty decent amount of, of underlying growth to offset that. And that's the, the main driver of why you see these increased probabilities, uh, as you said, as you increase your equity exposure. But, but I think that goes right back to what, what, what's center for us here at Horizon was how do you define risk? Because, if, if you're a client looking to meet a distribution target, um, you know, nine out of 10 folks are going to say, well, the risk is that you run out of money, I think. That's the main risk, right? And so if you want to minimize that risk, um, you know, it makes sense uh, to, to look at the research and, and, uh, and statistics like you referenced and that we've uh, found in our own research and begin to tilt more towards the equity market. Uh, but I think where all the, where all the details are, is how do you blend that with kind of the traditional view of the world, the traditional risk tolerance questionnaire type approach? Because uh, you can lead to, you know, without having doing something again with with that equity allocation to make it a little more defensive in nature, uh, to add uh, additional uh, components to, to that process to make that a little more palatable. That can be a challenge to take someone, uh, you know, take someone into a higher equity allocation that they, they might be used to. And especially like if you think about even just the experience we've had in the last uh, now it's like 16 months, you can think about somebody who's in their 60s and not no longer working and then they go back to last March and do they stay with it? Like, you know, some people say the optimal portfolio is the one that they can not, you know, adjust their portfolio during a crisis like we had last March. And a lot of people did reduce their equities at the, you know, as the markets were falling, that, that could have been a how, how do you navigate those risk of loss during things like last March? What are you, what are the types of things you guys are doing? Yeah. I mean, you, that, that, that's, that's a great point, Jeremy. I mean, staying invested is, uh, I mean, that's, that, that, that's really the, the, um, the, the most important thing. Having a plan is great. Being able to stick to that plan is, is, um, you know, is really where you earn your keep. And, uh, you know, the way that we, uh, we look to, to manage kind of catastrophic risk, I, I think it's pretty unique. Um, first and foremost, I think it comes down to how you're, how you define risk, right? A volatility, uh, first type of framework won't necessarily, um, have you always set up, you know, for a catastrophic market, right? Because there's certainly periods of time, last March is one of them, where we realize drawdowns far in excess of, you know, what any, you know, the general, uh, volatility modeling might predict. Um, you know, with, with that, um, you know, the way that we think about that is, is uh, defining risk in terms, in terms of investment loss. And specifically, you know, kind of in our protection and spend suite, um, you know, we focus on uh, modeling and, and tracking the, the drawdowns of, of uh, particular strategies. In other words, their, their loss, their max loss over uh, any rolling period of time. And based on Based on what those uh, what those loss levels are, uh, we will tactically shift the portfolio to uh, safer assets. Um, you know, once certain thresholds are breached, and and then conversely, when the markets begin to recover, we can dollar cost average back into the market. Uh, but look, that's not that's not um, you know free of cost, right? There's certainly trade offs to be made, and typically, what we see. Uh, and have seen with our portfolios uh, because of that process is they tend to do really well when markets are uh, are trending up and and uh, and there are very not very many losses like uh, think like a 2017 environment and they tend to do quite well and act defensive uh, during a, a catastrophic market like 2020 or a 2008 but but where where you kind of pay for a strategy like that is is when you have uh, choppy shallow drawdowns and kind of that. Um, those, those nasty back and forth sideways markets. And, and those types of markets can be periods of time where a strategy that's kind of using loss, as I've defined it, um, you know, that's where you uh, can tend to drag a little bit compared to just a pure passive allocation. 
And so, you know, it's, it's all about just um, having a plan in place up front and, and setting those expectations to make it more likely uh, that someone is going to be able to stay invested when things get really nasty. Beyond for this sort of tactical sort of dialing up and dialing down equities to bonds and, and rotating withdrawdowns, are there other things that you can do to protect portfolios or are there other strategies that, that might be what, what you employ um, more systematically? Yeah, I think uh, one, you know, an- another um, you know, diversification of risk management techniques, of course, is, is also very important. So you know, diversification across asset classes is kind of the first layer. But then I guess kind of the, the question you're getting at is, well, what are the strategies you're actually using, you know, to, to deliver risk management in your portfolios? Um, this tactical approach I mentioned certainly is one, uh, but you know that's of course not the only one. I think um, I think options are, are, are a great uh, a great solution in, in particular environments. Uh, most importantly, um, you know option strategies with a defensive stance um, tend to carry you know pretty pretty low correlation to like a tactical strategy in that sense, right? It, it, it behaves much more uh, much differently, and there and that can offer. Uh, quite a bit of diversification as, as well. Um, you know, something that, as it relates to options that, that we're, uh, we're big fans of using here are kind of collar strategies where, you know, you can uh, buy some buy some put options to give you that downside protection and kind of finance those uh, by, by selling, uh, selling call options on the upside. And that requires, um, you know, certainly a lot of, of systematic innovation, but also a good amount of you know, active management and discretion on top of that can be really key uh, to, to helping efficiently implement that type of strategy and really provide that, that kind of defined outcome um, that, that you'd be looking for uh, when things got pretty nasty. Yeah, that, that is interesting to, to, to hear uh, of, of these other systematic ways of, of looking at protecting. We're talking with Mike Dixon, head of portfolio management at Horizon Investments about his firm's goals-based planning and, and focusing on retirement income. Is there anything else within the retirement income space? We talked about sort of the tactical adjustments, the distribution modes. Any other thing that's a, a key component to these retirement income plans that, that you think people need to be thinking about as, as part of a, a overall program? Yeah, I, th- I think something that's really specific to, uh, you know, an effective distribution strategy is going to, to be accounting for kind of liquidity risk. And, you know, kind of what I mean by that is, um, you know, just blindly implementing a systematic distribution from, from an allocation can, can oftentimes, you know, force, force an investor to need to sell at a loss, you know, just to meet a distribution target, right? So if you, you know, if you had a pretty heavy equity allocation uh, and, you know, you had an event like 2020 or any sharp pullback and you needed, you know, needed to meet uh, some spending needs, you'd be forced to sell at a loss just to do that. Um, and if you do that and repeat that type of, of activity over time, that can be pretty detrimental to your portfolio. Uh, and so I think, you know, having um, a particular kind of uh, liquidity bucket, um, kind of safe assets set aside as part of either a model portfolio um, or kind of separate account um, can, can be a really key component um, of an effective distribution strategy. Uh, be, that way, when you do have some of these risk-off events, you're able to continue to, to get the distributions that you need, but you don't necessarily have to sell at a loss just to do that. Um, and I think that's a pretty big component, kind of the, the need to um, optimize and manage for liquidity risk. But that's really not something you have to take into account for, you know, if you're still accumulating assets or, or even if you're, um, you know, looking at a, a, a preservation-only type strategy because it's, it's only applicable to a strategy where you're, where you're taking distributions. Um, so that's certainly something I think that makes a lot of sense to to account for in a uh, retirement spending program. Interesting, good, very good. The um, you know one of the things that we we started with was the challenges of the bond market and the sort of ultimate low income rates, and it, it all feeds into the same retirement income challenge. I, I know you also do some tactical asset allocation within the riskier segment of the bond market. Any any commentary? We talked a little bit about the investment grade yields being historical lows. Anything on other asset classes within the fixed income market that you look at in this sort of quote unquote risky bonds that, that are worth for tax cost allocation? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think one of the big challenges with, with managing bond allocations now is, um, is what you need in a bond portfolio um, is, is you need it to, 
you, you need it to provide that, that ballast and, and act like a core bond supposed to act when equity markets get nasty, right? So if you, if you do kind of go out on the risk spectrum within fixed income, you know, you run the risk of, of failing to meet that need. Uh, and, and so, uh, again, you know, being a tactical asset allocation you know, manager here, um, you know, having uh, firm risk management uh, around those risky areas of the fixed income markets are uh, going to be a, a, a really important. I think when we look at the fixed income space, um, not only uh, not only will you know things like high yield bonds, um, but also you know hybrid securities like preferred stock and convertible bonds, um, you know, can provide uh, some tactical opportunities. To, to edge out, uh, you know, some some additional return, um, and then overlaying that with a you know a tactical risk management process can allow you to take risk off the table and avoid some of the um, you know some of some of the uh, losses when the equity markets pull back. But again, it's it's, it's somewhat of a trade off, right? There's certain periods of time where you would expect that to do well, and there's certain periods of time where where you would expect uh, where you could expect to, um, to to underperform a little bit uh, when things kind of chop around. Uh, but, I, but I certainly think as we look forward to what do you do with bond allocation, that you're really going to see, you know, over the next few years, um, you know, a, a lot of folks move more towards um, tactical fixed income allocations. Um, you, you know, you've, you've seen a lot of growth really in kind of the active ETF space as it relates to fixed income over the last few years. Um, and I think those strategies are going to continue to grow, especially with this backdrop. Uh, of yield, um, and you're going to continue to see a lot of innovation in that space. Do you have a, a three to five year view on where the rates should ultimately be? I mean, do you think we're, do you, do you share like the Siegel narrative that rates are, are too low and they ultimately got to rise? I, I think that, um, I think that uh, kind of firm view here that that rates are going to be longer, uh, lower for longer than folks expect. Um, and so, you know, uh, you know, three to five year view, um, is, is going to be, um, we're, we're going to be kind of on the, on the lower end of, 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 of most expectations there. Um, I, I think it'd be tough to see, uh, I think you'd be tough to see, uh, you know, a, a 10 year, you know, over, over 3% in, in three years. I, I don't think we're going to get there. Um, and they're going to kind of be lower for longer. Um, and, um, and, and that's going to be, um, I think it's going to be a pretty bullish backdrop for, for equity markets. Interesting. Now, and 3% is not even that high, but it is a doubling from where it is today. I mean, it is, it's interesting. Yeah, but, you, you know, the, the, the thing about the, the, the bond problem that we have now, you know, 10-year at 3% is, isn't going to solve many bond problems, right? I mean, you're still talking about yields that are substantially lower than, than um than they have been historically. Um, besides the the path to get there, right? Um, and when you look at a, a bond a, a bond portfolio, um, all of the current bonds that you're holding, of course, are gonna are, are gonna um, get uh, get hurt by rising yields. Um, and that's where I think um, again a tactical approach is, is so much more important now and going forward um, because. Um, the amount of, of kind of cushion that you could typically get from a bond just by holding on to it just isn't there, right? And so um, the time that you um, the, the timing is, is super critical on you know when you, when you're adding these allocations to a portfolio, um, you know, as, as doing so at the wrong time could uh, could pretty be pretty detrimental. One of the things we talked about a little bit offline was. Given these challenges and these dynamics, you know, annuities can often be used in this kind of context. Now, they often have this reputation of being super expensive with all these embedded fees and certain of them you've got to lock up your money for long periods of time. So they come with fraught with all sorts of, of issues and risks and dynamics there. How, how does Horizon think about that in, in any portfolio context and, and solving some of these retirement challenges and, and these bond challenges? Yeah, you know, annuities are um, are definitely kind of a, a different animal uh, to, uh, from you know a, a managed money solution, and I know a lot of advisors kind of think of them separately. Um, and look, there's there's definitely a lot of bad apples out there in the annuity space for sure. But it's also um, there's there's also a lot of really good uh, really good options uh, and choices, uh, particularly being used as, as almost like bond replacements. And I think given where again where yields are. 
you know, the, the bogey um, and, and the hurdle rate uh, is, not very, is not very high. I, I think looking at kind of the fixed index annuity space um, as opposed to the variable annuity space is definitely going to be uh, an area that I would, I would expect to see a lot more uptick um, and usage of over the next few years as, uh, as advisors look to do something else with that bond portion of the portfolio. And, you know, in, in particular, um, you, know, you know, fixed index annuities can, uh, they, they will typically offer, of course, a, a floor on any, any crediting rates. They're, therefore, you know, kind of the worst case you can do is, 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 is earning nothing, but at the same time can provide, you know, either, uh, you know, a capped access or, a, you know, participation rate for, for an underlying, you know, uh, index. And therefore, offers a really good and efficient, I think, transfer of risk from an insurance company's general account, um, you know, to uh, equity exposure um, or index link exposure. Uh, that can be great for uh, substituting uh, for for a bond. Uh, but again, it, it's all about trade-offs, right? Because there's liquidity uh, concerns at times in, in annuities, and so those have to be taken into account. Um, but uh, but but given Given where yields are, I, I think that um, you're going to see a, a continued uh, and really kind of growth in, you know, kind of the income annuity and fixed index annuity space, um, you know, to substitute in for those core bond allocations. In, in our last uh, few minutes here, maybe tell our listeners a little bit more. I mean, we talked a lot about the different uh, planning you do, but who are who are we have about a minute and a half left? Who are your clients? Who should be reaching out to Horizon? Like, what are the uh, the, the types of people who should be taking your trying to look for you. Yeah, I, you know, as independent broker dealer community is um, you know, big. Big advisors of ours. We have a, a big user base there. Um, you know, and, and, and RIAs as well. We do a lot of work um, with RIAs uh, that are really looking to outsource their the portfolio management. Uh, you know, function. Um, you know, and, and have um, you know a, a really robust team here that is that is focused on. You know, really helping kind of uh, take our goals-based framework and put it into um, put it into practice, uh, almost white-labeled in a sense. Um, you know, to uh, you know an RIA business, uh, and that you know the, the advisor community folks that are looking to uh, looking to really outsource that money management are exactly the type of clients um, that that are, are suited for you know the, our goals-based approach here at Horizon. And uh, you know, we'd be uh, you know happy to happy to work with them for sure. Very good. I know I've, I've enjoyed getting to know you over the years. We've got a good working relationship between our teams. Uh, I actually appreciate you coming on our show to talk more about all that Horizon does. Thanks for joining us on Behind the Markets, Mike. Absolutely. Appreciate it, Jeremy. Thank you. You've been listening to Behind the Markets on SiriusXM 132. I'd like to thank our producer, Patty Hall, our sound engineer, Dion Simpkins. You can listen to us on our Behind the Markets podcast. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit wisdomtree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM channel 132 and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. 